It's the beast that goes by several different names. Some call it workforce struggles, some call it the incoming silver tsunami, and some people are too stressed trying to deal with it to figure out how to address it. But the bottom line is that there's a problem. Between rapidly aging technology, which we talked about last episode, and, and continuous demands on the purse strings of state IT offices, which we addressed on the first episode of Priorities, states are having trouble recruiting, managing, and retaining a new workforce. And so it's a time of change. Not just change with folks coming into or leaving government, but a change in the very way that government does business internally. The, th the three biggest priorities we've got coming up this year is to optimize the environment. Well, right now our top three priorities are cybersecurity, cybersecurity, and cybersecurity. I've been meeting with all of our customers, just kind of understanding what their priorities are. You're listening to Priorities, a show where State Scoop and state information technology leaders take you through the main focuses of the state IT community. Today, on our eighth episode of Priorities, we'll talk about human resources and talent management and figure out what we're seeing across state government, what challenges there are, and what's coming next. On our program today, we're joined by three state IT leaders who have dealt with this issue in many fashions over their careers. And first up, we have Michael Cockrell, the, the Chief Information Officer for the State of Washington. Michael, so glad to have you here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Also joining us today, we have Marion Cook. She's the Chief Strategy Officer for the newly formed Illinois Department of Innovation and Technology. Marion, thanks for joining us on Priorities. I'm glad to be here. I'm a big fan fan of State Scoop and NASIO, and I'm eager to learn from everyone. I appreciate those kind words. Thank you so much. And, and last, but certainly not least, we have the one and only Doug Robinson, the Executive Director of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. Doug, we're so happy to have you with us. Jake, my pleasure to speak with you again, and appreciate State Scoop's coverage of these top priorities. Absolutely. So now that these intros are out of the way, let's turn to the topic at hand. Let's jump right in. Michael, you know, what are you guys seeing in Washington when it comes to your workforce situation? Finding and retaining a cutting-edge technology workforce is by far uh, one of the most important things that I know I do every day. I think it's particularly hard in Olympia uh, because we are competing with so many other great IT organizations for that top talent. When you're in the Northwest and you're competing with Amazon and Microsoft and Disney and Expedia and Apple and Google, getting that technology talent that values public service is, well, you know, it's a challenge, and I think it's a challenge that we are facing in a, in a range of different uh, geographies and in the range of different job classifications, et cetera. So we have a, in Washington, we have a program that we've been focused on um, called the Employer of Choice Program that is it's driven from, a, from an enterprise perspective from the governor's office and our budget office, and from a more focused perspective uh, the the pilot, if you will, is in the IT area. So we have a range of programs and experiments that we're running in the state of Washington, everything from experimenting with self-management to changing the physical environment, the, the space that people work in, to looking at the way we do job classification so that they're aligned better with the private sector. And then, you know, lastly, really what we're what we're trying to do is emphasize that one big differentiating point about public service to try and make the role, or I'm not being clear, as people come out of their current job, as they come out of, their, uh, out of a university, they get drawn to a particular brand. They get drawn to the brand big company or the brand startup. What we're trying to do is attract them to the brand public service. And to do that, we really feel like we need to reinvent that 
the brand public service. We need to, to make it so that good enough for government work it's back to, uh, to what it used to be. It used to be the good enough for government work was the gold standard. Um, today, good enough for government work just you know, means barely getting by. So we really think it's important that we dust off that brand public service and make it uh, engaging, make it, um, bring it to where people are, and really highlight what particularly the millennials in the workforce want, which is individual impact, the ability that, to know that the work that they do as an individual makes a big difference. That's great. That's, a, that's an incredibly fascinating perspective. And I, I love the, you know, the idea of, of bringing back you know, to the forefront good enough for government and making that a, a really, really positive thing. That's, that's really exciting and exciting to hear some of the things uh, that you're doing in Washington. I'm looking forward to hearing more uh, later on here in, in the conversation. Uh, let's turn to you, Marianne. I mean, uh, what, what's going on in, in Illinois? You know, what are you guys seeing in the workforce, especially as you transition into this new exciting department? Well, that transition is driving a lot of change, as you can imagine. We have over 80 IT agency boards and commissions with IT staff that need to work better together. So the old model was decentralized, so now we're moving towards more of a centralized model. About 40 of those 80 or so agencies um, represent the vast majority of the IT staff, about 1,700, and we've pulled those agencies together to create the new uh, Department of Innovation and Technology, effective just a few weeks ago, July 1st. So there is, in our workforce, the need to smartly consolidate uh, that, which involves an incredible amount of analysis and work. Uh, you throw on top of that, you mentioned the silver tsunami. So we've got the generations changing guard, and we've got an incredible need for new skills. We have an emphasis on analytics and mobile, for example, which are relatively new to the state of Illinois. We're implementing massive technology and process changes. So you know, taking the employee's perspective, this really represents a huge opportunity to grow their skills and their careers. Um, for example, in analytics, I noticed that State Scoop had an article on the NASIO policy brief, so a tip of the hat to both State Scoop and, and uh, NASIO, on the need for agencies to work together with the business stakeholders to harness the potential of their data. Earlier this year, we created and had 13 agencies sign a data sharing MOU. And this is a huge win for our citizens, but it also is for our, our workforce. They'll be learning more and adding more value than, than ever before, and our push into the Internet of Things is another example of many opportunities for our workforce. So, so I see these changes really as opportunities and um, working hard to make sure that our employees see the same thing. Marion did a great job of shouting out NASIO, and so let's, let's hear from NASIO themselves. You know, Doug, you have this overarching perspective you know, of seeing these trends nationwide, and you've, you know, you've been around NASIO and you've been working with NASIO for so long. You know, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing across state governments when it comes to the IT workforce. Well, Jake, uh, this continues to be a high priority. This uh, has been in the top ten the last couple of years for our state CIO priorities when we when we do that. I don't expect it certainly will be when we start to do the 2017. And we've issued multiple uh, reports and surveys on the IT workforce starting back actually in 2004. Um, and the 2015 report, I think, puts the puts it in context at kind of that national level. Uh, continuing challenges around uh, dealing with retirement, but also, uh, most importantly, dealing with recruitment and how to recruit uh, young talent into the state IT workforce. I recall a, a meeting that we had many years ago in one of our uh, 
uh, now former CIOs, when asked, how do you attract young IT talent into state government, his answer then was, you hide in the bushes and make a noise like a benefit. Uh, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, the benefit package isn't really all that attractive. Uh, the, the notion about stability, the 25 to 30 year position is not something that, uh, that anybody's really interested in these days. Uh, and so they have a, a different challenge. They, uh, Michael pretty pretty much articulated that. It's the, you know, the focus on the call to public service. So uh, let, me, let me give you a little bit of data, uh, a little bit of evidence around some of the challenges, and then maybe we can then have the conversation about what states are doing around innovation and some of the things that, that maybe Washington and Illinois and others are doing. Uh, in our survey last year, we had 49 state CIOs respond to this uh, our special report on the IT workforce, and we found 92% of them said that salary rates and pay grade structures uh, presented their greatest challenge. Uh, and so, again, the question on the table for states is can they really compete with compensation? And most states will tell you no, uh, that they're going to have to come up with different strategies. 86% uh, of them were having difficulty recruiting uh, new employees to fill those positions, bringing new employees in from the uh, from the outside. And I think the thing that concerns us the most is the fact that 66% um, of the states said that a shortage of the qualified candidates for these IT positions were really hindering the state's ability to achieve their strategic initiatives. So as Marion talks about things like IoT and data analytics and treating uh, basically data management as a strategy, that's all these required skill sets that probably aren't in place today in state government. And I think finally I would point out is, is the number one issue on the table for, for states over the last several years has been cybersecurity and risk management. And that continues to be the skill and capability and discipline that presents the greatest challenge in re uh, attracting the gap uh, in salaries uh, between the private sector and public sector security officers is pretty dramatic. Uh, and uh, I doubt states are going to be able to change it, so they're really going to have to focus on the non-salary benefits. And we can certainly talk about those in a few minutes. That's great, Doug, and I appreciate the data there. And, and you know, it's always staggering to hear you know what what you guys are seeing across all of the all of the states so thanks for that you know so we so we've identified the problem right we we know that states are struggling with workforce challenges and and you know we know that there are obviously a you know a bunch of things that they can try but but let's hear about what states are actually doing so so michael you talked about these a little bit in your first answer but can you dive in a little deeper and tell me a little bit about some of these things that you're doing in washington from you know innovating the workspace to innovating the way that people work uh, tell us a little bit more about those to try to improve your workforce situation, and maybe also tell us about what you've seen since doing those things. Yeah, I think that those are those two areas in particular are probably some of the um, some of the areas where we're pushing the envelope the furthest. Probably the biggest thing that we're doing right now comes directly from the uh, from the data that you can read all over the web, all over the um, anybody who's evaluating the workforce right now, and in particular. Uh, what millenniums are looking for. Uh, you know, and we're looking for people all up and down the all up and down the age spectrum for sure. Um, but by 2020, about 50% of our workforce across the entire state will be millennium. So that's that's one of our major foci is what, how do those people describe what they want? And they describe a couple different things. Um, one of them is not not work-life balance, but work-life integration. And the other is the, um, the ability to 
know that what they do day to day makes a difference. And they want to make a difference in ways that previous generations were less interested in. And they identify um, public services as one of the three or four top areas that they're interested in. So the challenge is, how do you make sure that they can join the ranks of public service and feel like that they're making a difference and have that work-life um, integration? So we've done a couple different things to try and address that. One of them is that we're running an experiment, and I, I focus on the word experiment because it has very specific goals and objectives and measurements. We have Harvard researchers that are helping us, helping guide the experiment. Uh, but the experiment is in self-organization. So we have taken a, um, a treatment group that's just short of 100 people and trained them in a mechanism for self-organization called holacracy. And... Um, went out and got them coaches and um, done a bunch of, a bunch of work uh, that basically eliminates managers from the system. It's a, uh, and it's a very avant-garde sort of thing to do. Um, when it happens in the private sector, as it has with Zappos and with, uh, but there's about a thousand companies out there today that are, um, that are experimenting with self-management. When it happens in the private sector, the CEO or the boss person just says, we're going to do this. We couldn't really do that in the public sector, so we had to create an experiment that demonstrated um, the, or that tested the hypothesis that self-organizing systems actually generate more work in less time and for less money. So we worked with, uh, um, we created we created this hypothesis, we defined measures, and then worked with an external party to help us define the experiment to help measure it. Um, we, we've been doing that for about five months now, four months, I think. We have, uh, we've collected data for, for the first four months of self-organization. Um, and the data, the data looks great right now. All the curves are up and to the right. I think that until we have more specific actionable data, we, we can't talk about the, the quantitative effects of it. But we can talk about the qualitative effects. Uh, and th those are anecdotal, but um, they're, all, they're about 80 to 90% positive. Nothing in government is 100% positive. It's just not realistic. But in... Um, in doing spot checks, in talking to people all, all around the organization, uh, the biggest frustration that, that people have is they didn't get to be part of the experiment. There are people who are in the control group where we've set up about a, a different set of metrics, or actually the same set of metrics, but measuring them a different way so that we can compare the treatment group and the control group. And the biggest issue we have is everybody in the treatment group is excited, they're um, their velocity of work is expanding, their empowerment is going up, their happiness factors are all going up, and the people in the control group are like, well, we want to be over there. Um, but the, that, that experiment is an example of trying to create that environment that gets the individual to be empowered because we really think that that is what it's going to take to attract the millennials to address the declining workforce issues. So we're pretty, we're pretty excited about that. It also goes hand-in-hand hand with a 
a very different approach to space. Um, we did a very limited experiment. We took a small space, spent a, a very small amount of money. I think we spent $14,000 to recable it and reconfigure, reconfigure it to um, uh, we increased the density by about 70%. We have decreased just by reconfiguring the space and asking, inviting people to work differently. Um, you know, we're addressing a, a whole uh, set of metrics that are six or seven different metrics around um, lowering email, increasing the amount of interactions while decreasing the amount of meetings, opening up um, opening up meeting space, having more density and therefore lower rents. Uh, you know, so they, they're, the experiment is sort of twofold. It's one, can you deliver on a bunch of hardcore business drivers? How are you going to save money? How are you going to do it better in a measurable way? And two, how are you going to, or by, by reconfiguring the space, can you make people just be happier and work more efficiently and, um, have better things to say about their work life. So those those two directions, the holacracy on one side and the space experiment on the other, are really working together to try and um, well to to try and take this at now relatively small group of people, but hopefully in the next biennium to to move it to a bigger experiment where we can really say not only can you change your internal culture, but you can prove that it's a good use of taxpayers' money to do it. Because if you're going to make those cultural changes in government, you're going to have to back them up and you're going to have to prove to the people who are writing the checks that um, the checks that they're writing are smaller. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I really like the accountability portion there. You know, I, I love that idea of, you know, uh, taking really what, what is a, a very technology-centric um, idea of, you know, having data and analytics to back up the results of what you've done uh, to, to justify it to the taxpayers and justify it to, to the stakeholders. That's, that's really cool. Uh, so, Doug, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of great use cases across the country. Uh, of course, Washington is, is one of them. But, you know, what else are you seeing? What are some of the more innovative ways that you're seeing states address the challenges? Well, certainly uh, Washington uh, kind of exemplifies kind of the top end of those innovations. And I think we certainly have documented and, and are continuing to look at uh, the fact that states are innovating. I mean, for the last couple of years, we've seen, I think, a tremendous amount of changes in this space. Uh, and I quite frankly, because in some states it become kind of a crisis with the level of retirements being, you know, over 30, 40 percent, uh, that they, you know, states recognize they had a lot to do to attract uh, the best IT resources, particularly uh, millennials. Uh, I, Washington is on the right track. If you look at our, you know, if you look at our most recent data, which in fact isn't even, isn't even published yet from our last survey, uh, the, the, those are kind of the top issues, is what are states doing uh, to kind of attract and retain that workforce? And number one was promoting those non-salary benefits, the challenges of working in a state government with a diversity of experience that you may not get. And uh, the second one was clearly the call to public service, trying to tap that 
inherent uh, internal drive for people to really give back to their state, give back to their community, give back to the government, and, and simply that use that call to public service. And that's been uh, that's been very helpful. So states are, I think, building out their talent networks, are going out and sponsoring uh, community awareness events. Some are going to high schools and are doing the STEM work. Some are doing hackathons uh, around data uh, with, the, with, with evolving state agencies. And I think those are all kind of wrapped in. There's not going to be one silver bullet. Um, flexible, I think, flexible work options in terms of uh, the availability of compressed work week and flex, flexible location uh, options like Washington is uh, is experimenting with in terms of the open office concept. That's probably the, the predominant move, 70 plus percent. Uh, it, those are, that's one of the tactics that the state has used in, in kind of retaining their workforce, but also it's going to attract people as they come in and they're doing uh, perhaps an interview. They would certainly want to show that off. Um, and so there's going to be other things, I think, ongoing leadership development, uh, not just training, but you know, really uh, leadership and, and, and learning uh, about being a leader in the public sector. Uh, those are going to be some of the predominant options, things that you might find in the private sector, uh, you know, bonuses and incentives and things like that, they're going to be, they certainly have been, they're going to be contested, but I think states are going to invest more in things like uh, tuition reimbursement. So once they have an employee, they're going to be able to uh, to be able to invest in tuition reimbursement. Some states, you know, are talking about um, looking at uh, implementing some type of student loan uh, payback program. And I think uh, that is something that is a drag uh, on a lot of millennials coming into the workforce is the fact that they do have student loans. So I think that'll be perhaps bookended by looking at uh, phased retirement options. States have talked about that, but from our data, very few states have actually implemented phased retirement. I think the federal government has also tried that. So I think certainly modernizing the office culture in a variety of ways, as Michael described, is going to be, I think, a win. And I think the other big piece, and certainly number one on the list for many states, particularly around jobs like cyber, are going to be modernizing the IT job titles and classifications. Many of them are archaic. We still have states that refer to uh, job title, you know, data processing specialist one, data processing specialist two. Most people applying for those jobs don't even know what that means. So we've got, got states have work to do in order to modernize that uh, their their kind of window dressing. Yeah, that's a great perspective, and it is always funny, you know, if you're ever you know in need of a laugh, uh, it's always fun to go back and look at at some of those job titles and and see what <laughs> you know see what people are are applying for and, and and actually you know starting as, especially you know some you know 22 year olds right out of college. Uh, that's really funny. Um, so you know finally you know Marion, I, I want to give you the chance to to tout you know the work that you guys are doing in Illinois. Illinois, you know, to talk about how you're addressing this issue and, and maybe what you're, some of the results that you're seeing. So we're talking about a whole tangle of problems around the workforce, recruitment, retirement, um, budget pressure, which is not going to go away, pace of change, uh, modernization of old technology, et cetera. And that is all true here in the state of Illinois. Plus, as I said before, we are transforming into one agency which adds another layer. It's like a uh, merger and acquisition scenario. We're merging dozens and dozens of IT organizations. And, uh, and while we officially announced just uh, July 1st, just a little bit ago, well over a year ago, knowing this was coming, we started moving on sort of a, a maybe culture without borders uh, set of strategic initiatives to handle all of these things. 
uh, because we had so many silos and all of the, all of these moving parts. And to move us towards a, an optimized enterprise strategy, we call Illinois First. So, so what does that mean? Well, it's got two parts: um, internal and external. Internally, to remove borders and boundaries between agency silos and encourage innovation, we implemented a series of collaborative communities across the agencies with specific deliverables to help build a new agency. Because it's a greenfield. Really, this new agency is a chance to do something different. So these collaborative communities were things like uh, we uh, started over a dozen working groups of CIOs to build enterprise strategies. Remember, we had no enterprise before on analytics, cloud, mobile, GIS, uh, all kinds of, a dozen different things. And also to investigate new technologies like blockchain. We also created, so these are, these are cross multiple agencies, we also created centers of excellence, which takes it down the next level below uh, CIO to build skills, share practices, best practices, et cetera. We uh, have uh, two right now, we've got a pipeline of more of them, but the, they are in analytics and Internet of Things. Now, uh, Nasio, our Nasio compadre on the call talked about mm -hmm. uh, leadership development. We have over 60 agency CIOs, and they haven't been given much, if any, education in their function, uh, in their function as a leader. So we developed a year-long leadership development program they participa participate in as a group. Uh, and they, uh, it's a train-the-trainer approach. They can then deliver that leadership development program within their agencies. Plus, we video recorded leadership interviews with our top leaders in our new department, plus the deputy governor and the governor, to talk about their career journey, what they're learning and what they recommend others learn, what do they look for in a leader, an emerging leader. And this emphasizes culture changes we're looking for, you know, desired leadership experiences and traits and to keep learning, et cetera. We put together an innovation strategy, a gated review process, uh, a team to address internal policies and regulations that are inhibiting the adoption of new technology, as well as looking at best practices around the world. Uh, and this may become more externally focused as we determine our partnership strategy. We have agency innovation days. So if you have all these different agencies, there are pockets of innovation out there. There really are. People are doing some great stuff, but nobody knows about it. So by um, getting everyone together, and at an agency talk about what they are doing. It helps to leverage that innovation across the organization. And then we're also putting together an innovation center, which I'll talk about uh, in a second. Another thing we're doing to get our to address multiple issues, including the workforce ones, is a much bigger emphasis on communications. I think we as geeks at times just focus on the work and look down even on communicating it. But if we don't talk about our value, it can be overlooked or commoditized. And so that's not what we want. So we've just added some staff and some emphasis there. Um, with regard to new people, you know, we talk about recruitment, et cetera. Uh, we are launching a pilot this week, a new onboarding pilot. We are in the month of August uh, starting five vertical cluster CIOs, a CFO, a new HR manager, a new communications manager, new architects, data scientists, and interns. That's a lot of people. And in the past, our onboarding philosophy was almost – here's your badge, here's your laptop, there's the bathroom, go. Now, I'm being a little facetious, a little better than that, but clearly it, you want these new people to come in and contribute immediately and uh, form relationships and are successful. So we thought, okay, we're bringing a lot of people on board now, let's do it differently. So uh, this onboarding process is um, two full weeks of internal education on our different 
departments and what we're doing and our major initiatives. And during that education, they also have one-hour workshops to make the working relevant, to make the the learning relevant. They have to contribute to solving some sort of problem we're having. And then we have two weeks after that of agency building projects. So remember, we're standing up a new agency. And if you can get new CIOs and CFO and HR, et cetera, all in a room together working on some problems in, in a specific fashion before they're sent off to do their real job, you can actually make some great progress. And then they're better armed to be able to serve in their new job if they understand the new agency better. Uh, we have a big emphasis on uh, business focus, on ROI. We do 75-day sprints. We have, we have accountability for outcomes, performance measures at the enterprise level didn't have before. We have a number of private sector executives, such as myself, that were brought in for a fresh perspective. Um, we have, gosh, so many enterprise initiatives, such as implementing an enterprise PMO, an ERP system, a case management system, et cetera, to get those synergies and, and consistencies that we need. So that's the internal, a, a big chunk of the internal work that we're doing to, to break through the silos, to really have some culture change happen, to make innovation happen, and to energize our workforce. And then the other, I said there were two parts to it, internal and external. We think we have to remove the borders between the, between the, uh, the state government and the business community, the academic community, the not-for-profit and philanthropic uh, world to get their fresh perspectives into us. So how we do that is uh, we have two strategic advisory boards that um, uh, are on how to transform a large organization and also on how to be a smart state using IoT. And in those, we have the largest um, employers in the state. We have uh, big uh, IT vendors and service providers, and we have uh, academia there. We've got Harvard represented. We have our University of Illinois uh, colleagues represented. Um, we have all kinds of thought leaders uh, in these groups, and there's a lot more to that that I can go into if you're interested in. But the point is we're bringing these, um, these external parties in, and, and uh, there's been this discussion about the call to service, you know, that also works externally. So uh, we're able to, right now, um, our CISO is being mentored by, uh, we have, our CISO and our junior CISO are being mentored by two of our largest employers in the state of Illinois, their CISO. So they're bringing them in. Uh, we have all kinds of very interesting collaborative work going on with corporations and universities, et cetera. We have a whole thrust on university partnerships as a way to drive um, culture change and to get new ideas in, you know, project-based work that students do for a class, internships, we're working to develop curriculum, the smart state initiatives around IoT. Uh, Michael, you talked about your, your uh, experimentation with um, space, physical space, because space does matter. And uh, so we've, we're piloting an innovation center. Uh, more collaborative space. We needed it externally to bring our partners in and work collaboratively. And internally, we needed to make it an attractive place to work, like you were saying. Um, so these are Uber initiatives to drive culture change amongst our workforce, to make it more attractive, to change our brand. Uh, we're, we're doing the work around job classifications and hiring processes, et cetera, as I'm sure you can imagine, because bringing 40 agencies together drives a lot of work around that. But it really is an opportunity. And then we also are part of a lean initiative that's seen incredible success in improving internal processes and mobile enabling our workforce. So all of this is done specifically to drive efficiency and innovation, to make it a more attractive place to work, to improve our brand. 
uh, and to get those fresh eyes in from with you know between having different agencies uh, start talking who never have before. They're solving each other's problems. They're um, they're sharing best practices. All kinds of great things are happening there. And then when you bring in these outside parties, like the biggest employers or the thought leaders in IoT from Harvard, for example, uh, all kinds of good things are happening. And it's interesting to see uh, people inside the workforce sort of jumping on board with this. There was the initial reticence, right? You know, uh, is this really going to make a difference? What are you guys really doing there? And now we've really seen people, the movable middle has really started uh, getting engaged. So so we've done, done a lot of these Uber initiatives to drive culture change, um, as well as the more tactical things around uh, the mechanics of talent management. And, uh, you know, we've been preparing for this for a long time. You know, it's best to run to the problem, not from it. So we've been working on this for over a year. And I think it puts us in a good position now. Wow, that's great. I mean, this is, uh, I got to tell you guys, this is just an incredibly, you know, way more intensive and deep discussion than I ever expected we could have about workforce, but but it's super exciting. Um, you know, we are running a little low on time here, but I do want to get to our last question. So maybe I'll ask you guys to just keep the answer to be relatively short if you, if you can. Um, but the final question here, you know, is, are, are these problems generational? I mean, is workforce only a challenge right now because of the influx of a new generation into the workforce, or is this an issue that's going to persist over the next 10, 15, 20, 50 years? Uh, and let's, we'll start right back with you, Marion. So I would say the issue needs to be defined more broadly than the generational uh, change over. Um, it's uh, all kinds of things going on, which all of us have spoken to around technology change and modernization and all of that. And it's, this is not a short period of turbulence, but turbulence is a way of life. Uh, while the impact of one big boomer generation leaving and a new one coming in is significant, but you've got the increased speed of, of work and technology change and rising customer expectations, I think is a big thing. So in the end, it's it's uh, not short-term, it's not for cowards, and change is where innovation happens. So to answer your question, it will not only persist, but it is the new normal. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't think it has. It has a little bit to do with generation, only, in a, only when you look at it in detail. In concept, technology is changing, expectations are changing, people's perceptions of government are changing, and all of those have direct impacts on the workforce. It's a systemic, the, the move away from from um, public service as one of as a higher calling it's a systemic problem and until you can address it you know it's not an IT workforce it's a workforce problem yeah absolutely and and, and Doug I mean you you know in, in your comments earlier you mentioned that it you know in, in the past couple of years has really cropped up on on the top 10 priorities of state CIOs do you see this going away anytime soon no Jake I just see you know Marion said it because we're, we're in the transition and part of that is just driven by the the retirement boom, right? And so we're, we're having a challenge, but uh, I guess to, to agree with both my colleagues, this this is going to be the new normal, not because of the workforce issues, simply because in state government, you know, the forces of change have begun, and that is the changing business models, the changing way that states are going to deliver the business value with information technology. It's not, it, the workforce is going to have to contribute to that, but, uh, you know, you're not going to see state CIOs saying, as they did maybe 10 to 15 years ago, that I'm going to increase my state IT staff significantly. You know, they've been they've been basically looking for ways to uh, to to basically raise their skill sets, but probably downsize the number of individuals. And that's just not IT; that's across the board for all states. So I think, particularly for state CIOs. 
their organizations are going to deliver services in a different way. Starting now, some are already doing it, uh, and they're delivering services to their state agencies and to their citizens in different ways. They're expanding their outsourcing. They're expanding their managed services. Uh, they are working in new ways with the private sector. Uh, I think you know this is the old you know rowing versus steering question for public organizations. States in the future are just going to be doing a lot more steering, and they're going to be relying on a whole constellation of other people. It may be in the higher education field. It may be in their private sector partners. And so with these new business models, uh, I, I, I don't see this dramatic need for a large state IT workforce. Now, there may be some states that, go, that don't go in that direction, but the data all points to a declining number of actual uh, on-premise state IT workers and much more collaboration and integration with the service providers. So I see, uh, I see that's where the states are going to go, and the status quo is clearly not going to maintain the what we call the owner-operator model of state IT is clearly beginning to uh, devolve and starting to disintegrate uh, across the states, and, and they're going to be much more much more collaborative. And so that's, I think that really forecasts probably a, a steady state or lower number of state IT employees over time. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's fascinating, you know, that, that this is all coming at a time where, where technology is changing so much, and, and so it is also changing the workforce and, and eventually changing, you know, the way that states do IT business. And, and I think it's, it's, you know, based on what I've gotten from this call and from this, this conversation, uh, it's, a, it's an incredibly exciting time for, for technology just because the, the potential, you know, on the horizon is, is huge, but it's also an incredibly nerve-wracking time because, you know, we're, we're, there's a lot of uncertainty about how these folks are going to get from A to B. So that's, that's really fascinating. Well, I want to thank all of you uh, so much, you know, for, for all of these comments and for being here with us on Priorities today. You know, it's been fa fantastic to hear your perspectives on how states need to address the, uh, this looming HR and talent management problem that results in the state IT workforce. So, so thank you all so much for being here. It's an absolute you, pleasure. Yeah, I, I'd like to close on my motto, which is challenges are the essence of adventure. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's great. That's a great motto to close on. I appreciate that. So, uh, all right. Thanks again to Michael Cockrell, Washington CIO, uh, Marion Cook, Illinois' Chief Strategy Officer, and, and Doug Robinson, the Executive Director of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. Uh, episodes of Priorities are posted monthly, so be sure to head to statescoop.com, and here are already aired episodes on topics like legacy modernization, cybersecurity, consolidation, and more. Uh, also, stay tuned to State Scoop for all the latest news and events in state and local government information technology. I'm your host, Jake Williams, State Scoop's Manager of Strategic Initiatives. Thanks for listening.